I want to read the narrative from Luke chapter 2. Sloan referred to it to a degree, and I want to just take time to read this to you. It's familiar words, but it, it's a t- season to repeat them. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And he goes on to say, This will be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. Later on in that chapter, chapter 2 covers a lot of ground. It covers all the way to when Jesus turned 12 and his family took him for one of the festivals to Jerusalem. And like some of us who've had that awful experience, they lost him. I was just talking to someone in the foyer about losing a son at Disneyland. Well, we did the same thing back in 83. Our eight-year-old son, we couldn't find him anywhere. He was supposed to be at the convention center and he hitched a, another ride to Disneyland that he wasn't supposed to be on. So just the paranoia of us for a few hours did not know where he was at. They went a day's journey from Jerusalem when they realized that he was not among the group. It took them three days to find him. And that's four days. I think probably they were pretty much beside themselves by then. But when they found him, they found him in the temple. And he was talking to the theologians of the day, doctors of theology. And uh, they were impressed, not necessarily by what he was saying to them, but by his curiosity. He was asking them questions. And later, in the closing words of that chapter, it says that he went with his parents, were subjected to them, And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so he he was developing. He was an adolescent. And even then, as a 12-year-old, he was already aware that he was in a purpose for someone else. His father, he says, don't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? I want to take you um, just to mention John 18, I believe it is. And uh, this is the conversation that Jesus was having with Pilate. 
And Pilate was trying to figure out who he was and his identity and the whole thing about, well, they're saying you're a king. Are you a king? And Pilate came to the conclusion where he says, well, you, you are a king. And Jesus said, it's for that reason I came. I came to bear witness to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I notice some of the words in one of the songs, born to suffer, born to save, born to raise us from the grave. There was all kinds of people telling Jesus that he wasn't supposed to suffer. He wasn't supposed to die. That just could not be the purpose of God. That just could not be the will of God. Listen to R.C. Sproul earlier this morning talking about God answering our prayers. And he says, God always answers our prayers. We may not like the answer. We may not get the answer we want, but God attends to our, our tears. He attends to our cry. And uh, we have to leave things in his hands, do we not? So we have to trust him, trust his counsel. But it's obvious that he, his purpose for us does, it, or will exclude pain and tears. Uh, this week, I had a, multiple opportunities this week uh, to share some truth with people. Uh, Brennan and I got to pray with two different individuals yesterday. We were, we were here putting some things together in the foyer, and, um, and both of those people, um, in just maybe a difference of about an hour, um, shared how they had been abandoned by a spouse, a partner. And um, we had a chance to pray with both of them. But one of the things I was able to share with multiple people this week, one was a cousin in Indiana, Monday, that I really feel like my brother and I need to go and talk to him. He's 73. He's got a bad heart. We don't know where he stands with the Lord. But this truth, this truth, this is why communion is connected to Jesus' birth, because he came to do this. When it says that Mary kept all of these things in her heart, she knew when he was 12 and what he was doing, she knew, she knew in her heart what was going on, that the son that she nursed and raised and loved was going to experience things that would be a sword in her soul. And yet Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he did that for all of us. He did that for the whole world. And it's that truth I was able to share with people that your worth does not come from the estimation of other people. Your worth comes from the estimation of God. That God so loved you and me that in our fallen state, he sent Jesus to rescue us. Not necessarily from sin, but from ourselves. Because we only sin when we're drawn away by our desires. So he knows that we were our own worst enemy. That sometimes we have a selfish notion and we're going to do what we want to do. And when the consequences come back, we have to turn to him and repent. And even in David's repentance, he, uh, 
he knew that God was not only going to help him, he knew that God was going to clean his life up. And even said to him, cleanse me and I will be cleansed. You do your work in my soul and I will reflect that work and I will live out your purpose. And that's what real repentance is. Before we uh, enter into our communion time, I want to share something else with you that I shared with one of the persons yesterday that we prayed with. And that is shame. God never shames us. He never invokes shame. Now, we may fall under shame, which to me is a byproduct of condemnation. And Jesus said specifically that he did not come to this world to condemn us, but to save us so that through him we could be saved from shame. And I really believe that one of the individuals we prayed for, that she was dealing with an enormity of shame. And I pray that that truth penetrates the layers of disappointment in her life that only the Lord can heal, but he can heal. And that's, that's the positive, isn't it? He not only can, he will heal us, he will save us, he will redeem us. Um, I believe Lauren's going to come back to the keyboard, so she'll come back up here. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 13, and, uh, and we're going to enter into our communion time. We know the Last Supper. We know that that was a heartbreaking time for the disciples of Jesus. They did not want to hear what he was saying, that he would no longer be with them, that he was about to leave. And uh, those kind of goodbyes are not very good when they said, I'm, I'm not coming back. I'm, you're going to be on your own, <clears throat> but I'm going to send you another comforter. Paul, an apostle did not have the privilege of traveling with Jesus for three and a half years. But upon his conversion on the road to Damascus, he goes and he has like a three-year extended education system where Jesus comes to him personally and tells him everything that he taught the other men. And so Paul says, I was like an apostle born out of the time frame He said, Jesus took me to that upper room that night. And he tells the Corinthians who needed some help on how to conduct communion what really happened there and how should we respond. This is from 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So we should examine ourselves. And it doesn't talk about us being worthy to eat the bread or drink the cup. It just talks about how we do it. That we have a spiritual caution. We ask the Lord, Lord, where have I been offline over the last few days? Or have I been doing things my way? And have I not consulted you and talked to you and listened to you? Because if you are saved, he owns you. He purchased you with his own blood. Our whole being, body, soul, and spirit, is to be in his possession. And that's why we, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. He wants to do great things in our lives. He wants to work in our hearts today. Lord, I pray this morning as we approach this table and we take a cup and unleavened bread, a symbol of your sinless life, that you would temper our souls with great joy and gratitude that we've tasted grace and it's unspeakably wonderful to know you. Forgive us of our ways that are not your ways. Forgive us of attitudes that's not birthed out of your spirit. We recognize that we're just mere mortals. None of us are living a perfected life, but we lean on you for mercy. We lean on you for forgiveness. We lean on you for the healing of our souls, for the renewing of hope that you have a plan and you have a purpose for each of us. And the greatest worth we have is knowing that you hung on the cross for me, for us, You did it for us. How much we want to understand that more and live that more. And on the eve of us celebrating your arrival, Jesus, may we celebrate what you really came to do when you arrived on this earth. You came to take our punishment, our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities on your own shoulders And you went to that rugged cross to atone for us. May we approach this table realizing the joy of our sins being forgiven. And that you renew us today. Renew families that are here. 
And we pray for the Simmons family, for the Pedrams. We pray for those who are going through sickness. We ask for healing to be poured out. But those who are able to be here, we give you thanks for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.